Welcome to the Arise Church Podcast. At Arise, we're a community of imperfect people, pursuing and experiencing a transformative relationship with Jesus and one another. For more information, you can find us online at ariseonline.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Arise. How is it? Oh, wow, that's like the biggest good morning I've had, I think, since I've been up here. So who has their Christmas tree up? Oh, yeah. It's like the season does not start until that, right? I'm in this weird place right now in my life where I'm like kind of all in but don't want to be all in when it comes to Christmas. Like I'm excited that, um, so last, we go Saturday? Last Saturday after Thanksgiving, Christmas music goes on, drive out to Riverview, cut down a tree. I don't think, I think that's still okay to cut down Christmas trees. I guess not killing the environment, things like that. But go out there, excited, looking for the perfect tree, right? Christmas music the whole way back. We set it up. It's not decorated yet. That's today. But I'm in this weird spot where, like, I I want to be kind of all in, but I'm still that guy that's like, my kids shouldn't get presents because that's not what spirit is about or the spirit of Christmas is about, right? Like, yes, we should celebrate the coming of Christ, but does that really need my, mean my kids have to have a bunch of money spent on them? It could be that I'm just cheap, right? It's, it's, it's possible, but it's also wanting them to understand what this season actually is. And um, so it's, it's a real, I told Crystal this yesterday, it's a good thing that they have her as a mom because she will never let them be without presence, which is good. So I don't know if anyone else is in that boat where you're in this weird spot. Um, and I hope, I don't, I don't want to put you in this weird spot with this message today. We're going to tackle it from um, a couple different views. But we are in the Advent series, uh, season right now. And it, it starts four Sundays before Christmas. And it typically goes hope, peace, joy, and love. We're going to tackle three of them because our fourth one is... Uh, the, the kids program, so still come to that. Um, but as Hillary said, um, Advent comes from Latin, and it, it means coming or arrival. And for us, it's specifically when we look back at this time where we're in this weird state also where it's the already and the not yet. Like Christ has already come, and we know this, but he has not yet come back, so we're waiting for him again. And that's what this season is about. It's about anticipation. It's it's about expectations, anticipating. Um, But what I want to get into today is, so the title of this this Advent is um, Hope in Times of Disappointment because what we always need to remember is that everything here, so as this message goes on today, um, what we need to remember is everything that goes on here can disappoint. Like whether it's whether it's me up here or it's or it's presence or it's family or or the tree or whatever it is, when we start to put our hope there, that's where things falter. And if we look at that word hope, um, a couple uh, dictionary definitions: hope to desire with expectation of obtainment. Sounds pretty right. Or to expect with confidence and trust. I think that's that big one. That's that link for us with hope is that trust and this hope and this trust that things are going to actually happen. 
So I'm going to get us um, into, into the word here. Throughout this whole Advent season, even if we don't say it for some reason it's through a message or through whatever we're doing up here, we're not pointing us to Jesus and the hope in Christ in this time. This is what this whole season is about, is about waiting for Jesus and pointing us to him in this time. All right? So if you want to take out your Bibles, if you have them, um, I'm going to be in Exodus today. You might be thinking, what in the world does Exodus have to do with hope? I'm going to get us there also, so bear with me on that. But I'm going to, we're going to be in Exodus 15.22, right after um, God parts the sea, and they've just sang the song of praise, and now they're going to be um, starting their journey, basically. So Exodus 15.22, Lord, I pray that your words here would touch us, that your scripture would sink into us, would fill our hearts so that we can understand you, so that we can be drawn towards you, so that you can teach us. Lord, I pray that this message is for each of us today, that we can be transformed. I pray that you do the work in us that only you can do. It's in your name, amen. All right, 1522. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter, therefore named it Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water. And the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. Now, when we, use that, when we see that word tested there, it's not like God is making Israel prove themselves. It's not like he's the professor trying to fail them or giving them a pop quiz or anything like that. He's not sending them in some sort of like uncomfortable burden, right? He's, he's not making them prove themselves. What he means by testing is he's teaching them, right? He's wanting to see that they're going to obey him. And that's what comes next is saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Right? Not much of a test, right? Diligently listen. We, we can do that, right? We can diligently listen. Right? What was next? Said, uh, do that which is right in his eyes. All right. Like, he's right there. We, sh we, should be able to f we should be able to follow him with him right there with us. Give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. Does not seem much of a test, right? We basically just need to do what our heavenly father has given us and told us to do. And none of these diseases, and he's going to take care of us. None of these diseases that he put on Egypt is going to be on us. Okay? So then after that, they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water. Significant, 12 scripture-like numbers, 12 springs of water, 12 tribes of Israel, right? Now, these must have been pretty, pretty big springs also. Um, thinking about it, we'll... we'll We'll catch this a little bit later, but there was, what, 600,000 men that came out of Egypt, right? And that's just men. 
So probably double that for women and probably once again if every man or woman had one child. So maybe two point or two million people maybe. So if you can imagine the size of these springs that God has provided, right, to, to um, house or, or, or water two million people. So there they set out from Elam and all the congregation of people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month. I'm trying to, trying to look at the 15th day of the second month. So what, 45 days? They've basically been gone like a month, a month and a half from Egypt, right? Gone a month and a half. And the whole congregation of, peop- of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. There's that word again, test, right? Now what kind of test? Whether they will walk in my law or not. So it's not like it's a test that they really have to pass. He's just teaching them to walk in his law. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with, filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Father, thank you for your word. All right, so I'm going to take us back now just a little bit to Exodus. So what we're hearing here is people are, the people are grumbling, right? They've been out of the wilderness, or they've been into the wilderness three days. They, they literally have just crossed the, the Red Sea. Three days later, they're already grumbling. Now, I'm sure this could get me in trouble. Who knows someone that would be grumbling three days after they just got saved through the Red Sea? I do. In fact, I probably know some people that as soon as the water like brushed the back of their sandals, they would have been complaining because there was dust on their sandals or their robe got dirty coming through or something wouldn't have been good enough, right? So we have to always remember like those good things that are, 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 are happening. But 
we have to remember where God works, and that's what they already lost sight of. Um, I'm gonna take us back into some Exodus history. So if you're new to um, church or you're new to the Old Testament or just haven't read it for a while, you're gonna get a little history lesson here. Whereas Moses, well, first off, as we come out of Genesis, um, Israel has now grown, and they've multiplied. They've been, God has blessed them. They've multiplied. The, the Pharaoh that has allowed them to live there in peace and harmony has now died, and a new Pharaoh has come and basically said, hey, this nation is too big. Um, they could overthrow us. Let's, let's enslave them. So through that, I, I think it was about 430 years um, of Israel living in this, um, under this oppression, under this slavery, they finally groan to God. Um, and I think what it says is their cry for rescue for, um, and slavery came from God. Um, and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and, and Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So God hears their groaning and he grabs this guy, Moses, who his father was a Levi. So he, 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 was, he was an Israelite, but he grew up in Egypt, killed a guy to help some other people out, and then fled. But God grabs him from the burning bush. You all remember the burning bush story? It says, you've got to go back to Egypt and set my people free. So Moses says, I don't want to do it. I'm not good enough. And he says, I'll send your brother Aaron with you. We all know that Aaron's got some issues later. We'll work that out later. But so he sends Aaron and Moses back. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, Pharaoh, um, God wants his people set free. And Pharaoh says, no way. It's, they're, they're, they're too important for doing the work around here. So um, God sends the first plague. Like there's 10 plagues that go. God sends the first one. He turns all of the Nile River, the water, into blood, right? And Pharaoh relents and says, okay, you can go, and then changes his mind and hardens his heart and doesn't let him go. So then Moses comes back and says, let him go. Something else is gonna happen. God sends frogs, right? Now, this is not like the frogs that when you're driving down the interstate and you see the lights and you see them hopping on, you know, and you're like, please don't, like, let me squish all the frogs on the road. This is like frogs everywhere, right? There's frogs in your cupboards, frogs in your cooking pots, frogs in your bedrooms, Frogs in your sheets, frogs everywhere. Pharaoh still says no. Okay? He, he relents a little bit and then changes his mind again. And then God sends what? The gnats, right? I'm just telling you right now, one day of gnats, I'm giving in. Like, can you imagine just gnats everywhere? And it's not like they can probably hole up in a house, shut all the windows, and go after them. And, and then right after that, it's flies. One fly in my bedroom at night. Like, there is, there's, like, something's happening, right? I mean, this, this, is, this is not going well. So that's what it would take for me, like, maybe four. And I'd be all right, they're, they're good to go, right? But Pharaoh still says no. And then the fifth plague is the Egyptians, all their livestock dies. Then the sixth, the men and, or man and beast all develop boils, and then the next one is hail. And hail comes and destroys everything except for Israel's property, livestock, whatever they have. Okay, and then we've got locusts. And I, again, it's that locust. I don't know what it is about bugs with me, but when I have like a grasshopper hop on me, it's like, 
you know, like their pointy legs. Anyways, like, then he sends locusts, right? And it's the same, it's a swarm that just covers everything. And then that doesn't work, and he sends darkness. And we're talking pitch darkness. Not like the darkness we have at night where we've got street lights coming down and we can still see, and if you forget to turn your lights on in the car driving, you're probably still okay for a little while. Right? Pitch darkness, except for Israel. That's one thing we need. They still somehow had light when the rest of Egypt was in total blackness. I keep thinking this time of year where we only have light from, what, 7, 7.30 to 4.35, and we kind of start to get a little depressed and a little down. It's just like, I just want to see some, some sun later, right? So just imagine total pitch darkness, three full days. Still doesn't work. So then finally, the 10th plague, God takes the firstborn son of every person, Pharaoh finally relents. Moses gathers, gathers the people, sets off. But in that, Pharaoh again says, wait, I just lost all of my workers, all of my production, all the people that took care of this land. And so he sends his army to bring them back. And what does God do? He parts the Red Sea. Everyone gets the cross, closes the Red Sea, drowns the army. So all of this stuff has happened now, Right? I mean, literally, time after time, Israel has been in the midst of all these plagues. Nothing has happened to them. They've been safe. Egypt, getting just wrecked by God. Get, the whole army gets taken out by the Red Sea. Three days later, they say, eh. It's like, yeah, thanks for what you did, but, like, what do you got for us now? Right? And that's where we're going to take into some of this um, the, the fur, you'll hear me say this a couple times a day. The further that we get away from God or the furthest, further that we get away from being in the presence of Jesus or seeking them, the closer we get to grumbling or the closer we get to those disappointments or seeing things, putting our hopes here instead of here. So the, so the less we're in the presence, the less we focus on here, we start to put our hope and our expectations in here and this stuff will always disappoint right? This stuff will always disappoint. Especially when we come to this time of the year. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this at two different sides here. I'm going to, to kind of go after the Christmas season here, trying not to do it in a bad way, but in, in a way that's, that's going to help point you this way in the times of, in the midst of this stuff. And then I'm going to take it another way where like we create our own expectations in what's going on um, for, this, for this season. But then there's other times where there's things that happen to us that we, we just have no control over. So I'm gonna kind of take it, take it both here. I'll get to the serious part kind of later. So I look at this season, like our expectations, like everyone's seen Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, right? Right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, seriously, like Clark's expectation is like the ultimate Christmas. Perfect tree, perfect family, and we all know Uncle Eddie, right? Perfect turkey, perfect singing carols, perfect lights, like everything. Like the, the epitome of what we hope for a lot of times is like what Clark wanted. And we know like nothing went right in that, in that movie, which is just hilarious, 
Um, but it, I mean, you can even look at like his, um, the, the Christmas bonus. Like, like everything went wrong, right? Like nothing came out the way he thought it would be. And when we put our hope in things like that, this anticipation, this expectations, we're so excited about what's going on, we, we forget those little things. But it doesn't help out because everywhere we go, you, you can't go down without seeing probably a billboard, um, every ad on TV, every ad on your phone. Like, I think I can open up my emails. And just today, these are, this is everyone telling me that I need the next newest thing, the bigger TV, the nicer car, um, the newest upgrade for my iPhone, whatever it is. Apple, Target, Men's Warehouse, Costco, Amazon, Shutterfly, Kohl's, Dollar Shave Club. They kind of missed that one, didn't they? A week, a week, and then Dollar Shave Club will come in handy. But you see what I'm saying? is like everything is geared towards us to tell us what we should expect to get here, right? Where do we put our hope in? And not only that, when Christmas time comes, the next day, there's the after Christmas sale so that if you didn't get what you wanted, you can go out and buy it yourself. So that if someone lets you down, you can get it yourself. And it just, it, it doesn't help. Now, I'm not saying that Christmas gifts are wrong. Do not hear that. Like Christmas, like giving Christmas gifts is not wrong. Receiving them is not wrong. Don't feel guilty for it if someone wants to get you something. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't want you to miss that point. What it is when we put our expectations and our hope that this thing is going to fix us. This is going to fix what we've been missing. That's where our problems come from. And I don't want you to hear also coming up here that like I'm comparing these disappointments with like Israel's slavery or slavery that goes on now or a divorce or a sickness or a loss. I don't want to say that I'm comparing those. They're, they're different things. They're things that, that we, hope, we put our hope in and then get disappointed with, okay? But there's other things that are, more, that are more hard to see. And actually, uh, hey, do you, Galen, do you have that Advent slide, the prayer that, um, that Hillary had? It was just perfect because it's, it's almost exactly what I wrote down in my notes here is in this prayer is the things that we tend to tr put our trust in, jobs, bank accounts, good grades, physical appearance, social status. That good grades one struck me at, um, struck me, uh, struck home with me because as I thought about it, when I started seminary, um, I hadn't been in school for 20 years and I remember my first class, I was so worried about getting a good grade on my first paper like just nervous. And I do well throughout the whole year. And the weird thing is with this Kairos program I'm in, there's not grades. It's I'm either competent or I'm not. I pass or I fail, right? But I go through all this homework, all these papers, all these tests, and I know that I scored above 95%. I didn't know what it was, but I know I had a good grade. I go and I click on my grade to look and it says pass. I'm like, what? I was like, what I get? Like my expectations was that I was going to see that like I was this good student. But they're just like, yep, you got it. I'm like, oh, man. Like I was let down. And I know that's 
that's like almost childish, I get it, but it's like one of those things where we put our expectations in. But I want to tackle a couple other things here. Like, we put our trust in our spouse. Right, like our spouse is the one that's going to make everything okay. And ultimately, I love my wife. She can never live up to my expectations unless they were so low, and that wouldn't be fair either, right? But as a husband, I am never gonna live up to my wife's expectations, period. Her hopes and expectations have to go towards Jesus, not towards me. Our kids, we can't expect, put our hope and our expectations in our kids, right? Because they're always gonna fail us too because they're human. Kids, this is something. How many kids? Raise a hand for kids that are still in here. Hands, kids, this one's for you. I just want you to know, your parents are gonna fail you. Big time. Probably every day. Okay, my kids would say that I fail them all the time. Okay, we are human. We love you to death. But we will never be perfect. We will never do things right all the time. Okay? Or how about you put your hope in your finances. Like if I just make more money, everything will be okay. Or that promotion, if I just get to the next level, if I become the director or CEO or whatever, the top-notch salesperson, whatever it is, then everything will be okay. But ultimately, all these things will bring disappointment and will fail. So what happens when we put our hope or our expectations in these things? We start to lose sight of where our hope and expectation means or where our hope and expectation should lie. I said it before, the further we get away from the day that maybe you are saved or the further that we get away from the day that you last saw or you last recognized God move in your life, the easier it is to grumble, the easier it is to forget the gratitude or give gratitude where gratitude belongs, even in disappointment to be able to find gratitude. Right? So God uses Moses to save Israel. Okay? Moses brings them out of their physical, it was God that brings them out of their physical bondage, yes, but Moses was the leader that, that brought them through. And three days later, they're there. Moses could help lead them from their physical bondage, but he couldn't lead them from their spiritual bondage yet, right? They needed God. They needed God to teach them how to obey his laws, and they needed Jesus still. So they're in that, we've just already been saved from our physical bondage, but they're in that not yet of waiting for Christ also, waiting for their Messiah. And they waited you know, thousands of years for it. They need God through Jesus to bring them through to their salvation also. God needed to teach them to trust, to where to put their hope. Now, a, a question today is, do you grumble? And who do you grumble to? Do you grumble to your friends, to your spouse, to your circle, to whatever, or do you grumble to God? Like God can handle that. 
right? If you've got something on your heart, do you think it would be better to take it to, not that it's bad to take it to a spouse or to someone just to bounce it off, to vent a little bit, but as you're grumbling for that, um, it is for them to lift you up somehow? Or can you grumble to God and just say, God, and just groan to God like Israel did? Groan to God. And if you notice in this, God didn't punish Israel for groaning or grumbling, right? God didn't punish them at all. What did, they, what did he do? He said, here, Moses, here's a log, sweet water, right? It's like, okay, yep, I got you. I want you to obey my laws. I want you to obey me, but I'm gonna test you. Here's food. For 40 years, I'm gonna provide for you. Just obey my statutes. And just do, only take enough for one day, right? He just gives them some rules. So, when we're sitting here and when we're in these times of disappointment, and, and this, is, this is leaning towards that, towards some things that we can't control now. Where do you put your hope? Who do you grumble to? Who do you try to wrap up with? Is it the people here, which is fine for support, but does your ultimate hope go upwards towards Jesus? And I know some of you might be saying, CP, that's easy for you. You're in seminary, you got things going on, but you don't know my life right now. You don't understand what's going on. My marriage sucks. I've lost a child or I've lost a wife or I can't find a job. Like this stuff is not pertaining to me because there is no expectation or like I feel like the plague has been given to me, right? There's some here that feel like they have been the ones that have been given the plague versus the hope in Christ. Maybe you're in a place right now where you're doubting that Jesus can actually do these things, like that Jesus is coming back. But you're here right now. You're here for that hope. Maybe you can't see a way out, but you hope there is. Maybe you want this miracle to happen to you. Maybe you can't see it. I want this miracle to happen. But you know what, maybe that miracle is you actually being here. Maybe that miracle is that through all of this junk that has happened, the muck that you've been in, whether people have been down in there with you or you've been trying to tackle it by yourself, maybe the miracle is that you are here. Maybe, the, maybe you are the river where the water has been turned to blood. Maybe you're the miracle that the sea has parted. Maybe it's just a miracle that you've still grabbed onto Jesus and all of this and you're still holding tight saying, I believe he's coming back for me. I believe he has saved me. I want you to know that Jesus is real. And we still sit in this time where he has already come and he is not yet back. Already because Jesus has come once, he has died, he has risen, he has ascended all for us to make right what we couldn't make right. And then not yet because we are waiting for him to come. 
We're standing on that promise, that song that we sing, we're standing on the promise, the promise of new life. We're waiting, him for, we're waiting for him to come back to us. Here's the thing is he has not forgotten about us. You might be in this dry stage, this wilderness. He's still walking there with us, okay? We put our hope in the one true king of the church. We say it over and over Jesus is the one true king, the head of this church. We don't put our hope in a pastor. We don't put our hope in a spouse, our money, a promotion, or fill in the blank with whatever is disappointing you or not leading you towards Jesus. You know, our view toward the world in which we live, it should balance the knowledge that it belongs to God. But it's not our final resting place. We take comfort that we are God's covenant people. We've been saved, we've been redeemed. We don't become too comfortable right here, but we gaze on what's coming and where our hope lies. We ask that God teach us to look at the big picture and how he sees things. And maybe it's been a while since you tried to listen. Maybe like Israel, you've forgotten what God has done for you through Jesus. And there's, the good news is that Jesus has not let go of us in our wandering. We're, if, if we're in a desert march, he's still right there beside us, teaching us, guiding us. And I have no doubt, I am 100% sure, absolutely, completely convinced, right? I trust Jesus is coming back. I know it just right here. I, I hope that if there's any doubt or you're not sure that some of this pours out onto you that Jesus just takes you and grabs hold. I'm 100% sure he's coming back and it's not from anything that I did or anything that you could do but it's because of what Jesus did for us. Let's pray. Lord, we stand on this promise that you've given us. And that we find our hope in Christ. Our hope in the one true perfect being that said he's coming back for us. That has made us new that went to the cross for us, that took all of our sins and, and washed them away with his blood. Father, I, I pray in this, this Advent season that we continue to point towards Jesus, that we continue to be excited with what's going on, but we don't lose focus on what really went on or what really is going to go on. Father, that I, I pray that our, our time through Advent continues to just honor you. I pray as we worship that we drop everything that's going on and, and we could focus on 
the one being that will never fail us, will never turn back on your promise. We love you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.